Daniel, will you read the gospel reading for us? Sure. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And when he, when he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves alone, uh, for the winds were against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out of fear. But immediately he spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and come to Jesus. But when he saw the winds, the wind, he was afraid and began to, and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out for his hand, his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly are the Son of God, the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, will you grant us? Father, will you do in us uh, basically the same thing that you were doing in Peter? Will you do in us the same thing that you were doing in Jonah? Will you persuade us so that we can pray that psalm uh, with a heart that, that fully consents to its truth. The, the police says, yes, yes, the Lord's voice is uh, more powerful than the, than the most powerful things I can think of, like the ocean and the sea and the wind. Father, make Jesus the most compelling person in our lives, the most compelling person we can think of. And so captivate us with him that we may know that freedom, that joy that the disciples know at the end of that story when they say, when they worship Jesus and say, truly, this is the Son of God. Um, we can't do that. We're not even pretending like we can get ourselves to that place. Uh, but we ask you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends. Um, will you please turn back to uh, the gospel reading, which is uh, right there on the page. Daniel did a great job. Thank you, Daniel, for reading that uh, passage so well. Um, it's Matthew chapter 14. We're picking up exactly where we left off last week, and it's another one of these famous stories. So Jesus walks on the water. Uh, Peter kind of walks on the water, takes a couple steps, and then it all goes haywire. But nevertheless, it's a famous story. And it's a story that allows us to ask this question. What is faith? 
Um, so in this story, the disciples move from fear to faith. I don't know if they move all the way to faith, but the needle gets moved in that direction towards a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. And it gives us the opportunity to ask the question, what is real faith all about? Um, let me try to set this up for you. So if you didn't grow up in church or if you're not a Christian or if you're just kind of investigating whether or not Jesus is a good idea, um, one of the things that you need to know, and you probably noticed this, is that Christians talk about faith and we talk about it all the time. Right. In fact, we say things like we talk about faith alone quite a lot. So we talk about um, salvation is by faith alone. Maybe you've heard that or justification is by faith alone, something like that. And, and those things mean a lot of things. But part of what it means is that all the good stuff of all the good stuff of Christianity uh, comes only if you have faith. So uh, if you're familiar with the term a single point of failure, it's um, if you don't have faith, then all the rest of the Christian life kind of crumbles. But if you do have faith, then um, you, you gain access to all the good stuff about the Christian life and about Christianity. So faith for Christians is hugely important. However, and this is a little bit of a problem. It's a big problem. A lot of us who have grown up in church, a lot of us who identify as Christians, Despite spending a lot of time talking about faith and using the word faith a lot, a lot of us don't have a real clear sense of what it is, which is odd, but it's true. A lot of us uh, who have grown up in church have, have a, a, an impression of what we mean when we talk about faith, but a lot of us don't have a real clear definition of what it is. And, and trying to get clear on the idea of faith is complicated by the fact that a lot of people have different ideas about what it means, right? So for some people, when they talk about faith, really what they mean is intellectual assent to certain religious ideas. But on the other hand, other people, when they talk about faith, what they mean is kind of believing in myself, almost like a type of optimism. Now, those are really different things, aren't they? But we use the same word when we're talking about both those things, or some people do. And then for yet other people, to, to talk about faith is just to talk about being gullible. For some people, being, uh, having faith in something is switching off your rationality and just acting as if things that are unlikely to be true are true. And then that's just supposed to be a strategy for life, which sounds crazy. And it, you know, it is. Now, those are all different ideas about faith. And what I want to try to get clear on as we look at this story is what do Christians mean when we talk about faith? Or what does the Bible mean when it talks about faith? Or what does Jesus mean when he talks about faith? At the end of our, uh, uh, of our story, he looks at Peter and he says, oh, you have little faith, why'd you doubt? And the implication is um, that, that this was a story about building up Peter's faith. What is real faith all about? Now, that's the question. Keep that question in your mind and let's get into the story because Jesus leads us there. Now, let me set up the story, okay? If you were here with us last week, you, you remember the scene. So um, Jesus has been, he's had a big day. He's had a big day. Um, he's done a lot. He's taught people all day long. Uh, he healed people all day long. And then at the end of the day, just to cap it all off, he fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and fishes. That's what we talked about last week. 
it's been a big day. Okay. And, and at the end of the day, he's tired. Everybody's tired. And he says, go home. But, but he also, verse 22, he tells the disciples to get into a boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. Parenthetical thought. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's a big, big lake. But it's a big lake. And well, the disciples uh, uh, take a, uh, a red-eye boat across the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Galilee, Jesus gets some alone time. Finally, he's been looking for this for some time. And he goes up on a mountain and he spends the night praying. And that's when the crazy starts. Because the boat, this is many hours later, the boat is somewhere in the middle of the lake. And the lake is not a sea, but it's a real big lake. And at, right when they're in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, somewhere around 3 a.m., a storm just rips into them and rips into the lake. Did you enjoy the uh, tropical storm the other day? That, that got my attention. Um, well, this got their attention. Now, the Sea of Galilee is famous for storms. It, it's, it's with the way that, I don't really know anything about this, but apparently, it, well, I've been there. It's, it's in a low uh, it, 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 it's very low elevation and it's surrounded by hills and the weather comes over and somehow it makes a swirl or something like that. Anyways, the storms are big there. And, the, and a bunch of Jesus's disciples were fishermen who had grown up on the Sea of Galilee. So they know what they're doing, right? Um, sailing and navigating on the sea of, Nal sea of Galilee was their area of expertise. And if there's anybody well-equipped to deal with the storm that swoops in on them, it's these guys. However, this storm is kicking their teeth in. Do you, do you look at the verse? Do you see verse 24? It says that the little boat is beaten by the waves. Now, the word beaten is used elsewhere, actually a little bit earlier in Matthew, and it means to be tormented or harassed or to be beaten in a way that causes suffering. Now, the point is, these are expert sailors who are getting beaten by this storm. They're getting their teeth kicked in by this storm. And you need to feel the sting, okay? Feel the sting here. These are expert sailors who are getting beaten precisely in their area of expertise. And that hurts, right? Let me say it differently. This storm is drowning their faith in themselves and in their own competence. Um, let's think about self-confidence for, for a minute. Uh, everybody knows, right? Everybody knows that a healthy degree of self-confidence is really important. It's hard to get anything done in life if you have no self-confidence. I think we could probably agree on that. However, there's a danger. Because a lot of us, am I right? A lot of us are tempted to place our deepest trust in our own competence, right? And this is particularly true if you've experienced maybe a little bit of success in life or maybe you've accumulated or worked really hard to develop an area of expertise, or if you grew up in a family that highlighted, you know, words like meritocracy and, and things like that. If that's where you've been formed, then it can be tempting to look at your life and say, I'll know I'm okay to the extent that I can trust in myself. I'll know I'm okay in life to the extent that I can trust my own competence, my own resources, I believe in me, and I'm quite confident that that's the best um, uh, basis for, for pursuing life. Okay. Now, for, all, for some of us, 
that's really, really attractive. For many of us, even if we are attracted to that kind of way of thinking, um, we actually, deep down, if we're honest, um, we don't actually have that level of self-confidence and, and that creates uh, tension and anxiety for us. But, but let me point out a problem. If my deepest bedrock faith is in myself, that's gonna sound good from a distance, but it's not gonna end well. And the reason it's not gonna end well is that if my deepest bedrock faith is in me, then when things go well in my life, I will be very, very tempted to become arrogant. Because after all, I got everything that I have because of my own blood, sweat, and tears. Man, it was my effort, and I worked hard, and I developed, and I was disciplined, and I really worked at life, and that's why I've got what I've got. And without even wanting to be, you can end up quite arrogant when things go well, if your confidence is in you. But on the other hand, at some point, life's going to kick your teeth in, and things are not going to go well. And if my deep confidence is in me and life doesn't go well, then I will end up being hopelessly frightened and in danger of despair and maybe self-loathing. Arrogance and fear are the two end games when I live by faith in me. Now, that's why this storm is such a gift. Because this storm beats the sailors in their own area of expertise. And this storm, by doing that, it denies them the option of relying upon themselves and it allows them to taste failure precisely in the area of their greatest competence. Pause here. Emmanuel, everything in me wants me to believe that I can save me. And that is a dangerously naive idea. And it will destroy me if I continue believing it. And Jesus, in his kindness, he uses the storms of life to shock me out of my naivete. He uses the storms of life to shock me and persuade me and show me that I need something bigger than me to save me. And even when I kind of intellectually know that I probably do need something bigger than me to save me, very often I don't really in my soul believe it until there's something in my life that shows me just how real that is. And usually that's circumstance. Usually that's something going haywire. Usually that's life going sideways. And it's a kindness of Jesus to give us those. Does that sound like kindness? I can imagine somebody saying, that doesn't sound like kindness. That sounds like cruelty. Well, yes, keep that in your mind and go back to the story. It's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. In, in the morning. And the disciples are getting nowhere and they're exhausted. And then they look out the boat and they see Jesus walking on the water. Now, it's the middle of the lake, so he's not supposed to be able to do that. And so they scream. Of course they scream. You would too. I would, at least. Maybe you wouldn't, but I would. And then Jesus says, verse 27, he says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, I need you to slow down with me because there's a lot going on here. In the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, whenever you have stories of Israel, the people of God, and the sea, usually two things are happening. On the one hand, Israel finds out that they cannot save themselves. And on the other hand, 
they find out that that is precisely where they get to meet God. For instance, do you remember Israel at the Red Sea? One of the most important stories in the Bible. Israel is getting uh, chased by Egypt, the Egyptian army. And they can't escape the Egyptian army because they're right next to the Red Sea and they've got no place to go. And do you remember what happens? Moses gets up and he says, don't be afraid. Watch how the Lord will save. And then the sea parts and they are able to escape and the Egyptian army is destroyed. Israel learned two things. I can't save myself. And that's precisely where I get to meet the Lord. Now, the same thing is happening actually in our other readings. We don't have time to go into it. But for instance, Jonah, the first reading, that is a story of Jonah from the belly of the fish. And he's learning those two things. One, I cannot save myself. Two, that's precisely where I get to meet the Lord. He was running away from the Lord. The Lord sent a storm. He gets thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by a fish. And those are the two things that he learns. I can't save myself. And that's precisely where I get to meet God. And that's exactly what the disciples are learning here. Go back to the story. Do you see where Jesus says, it is I? Now in the Greek, Jesus uses two words. He says, I am. Ego eimi. And in one way, it's just the normal way of saying, hey guys, it's me, don't worry, right? But there's more going on because in the Old Testament, when God first introduced himself to Moses, he said to Moses, Moses, here's my name. I, I want you to call me I am. That's my name. And that's the name I want you to remember me by. Now, everybody in this little boat, when Jesus shows up, everybody in the, this little boat has been shaped by that story. They think of God as I am. And so when Jesus shows up standing on the waters and says, don't worry, I am. While he's walking on the water, in control of everything, and in the context of saving uh, the disciples in the boat, just like God saved Israel in the past, all of that comes together, and it's Jesus saying, I am the God of the Old Testament who always saved Israel when Israel could not save themselves, and that's exactly where I introduced myself to Israel. And this is the turning point in the story. And this is the moment when true faith happens. What do I mean by that? Well, look back at Peter. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. Now, man, I love Peter, right? Everybody, don't you love Peter? The guy's amazing. He's cheeky. He's bonkers. He's bold. And I love the fact that Jesus is game for it. I mean, he's like, yeah, let's do it. Come on out. But look closely. Peter is not walking on the water because he's got a high level of self-confidence. That's not the reason. His self-confidence has been destroyed by the storm over the previous hours. And Peter is not walking on the water because he's taking this daring, irrational leap of faith. This is not reckless faith. He's walking on the water because he trusts Jesus very specifically. Jesus said, I am. So don't be afraid. And Peter said, okay, if that's the case, then I'll believe what you say, Jesus, and I entrust myself to you entirely. And Emmanuel, slow down, that's real faith. Real Christian faith is trust in Jesus because of what Jesus says about himself. 
real faith is always trust specifically in Jesus. It's not trust in myself. It's not vague trust in the universe. I have faith that the universe is benevolent. That's, that's not Christian faith. It's not even a vague belief that there's something called God. Real Christian faith is always more specific than that. It's specifically trust in Jesus Christ. Um, a 2000 year old Jewish man from Palestine who claimed to be the I am from the Old Testament and then died on a cross and rose again. It's trust in that person. And here's why that's so important. Faith, Emmanuel, is only a good thing when the object of your faith is reliable. Little story. Uh, years ago when I was in college, which was a long time ago now. But anyways, when I was in college, I spent one Thanksgiving in Minnesota with a friend and his family. And I was really excited about going to Minnesota because I'd heard of things called frozen lakes. I grew up in California, never seen a frozen lake. I was really excited. And I'd heard that in Minnesota, they actually drove like big trucks across frozen lakes and like made, in, made them into roads. So I was really looking forward to this. And it, it was great. Anyways, we get to his family house cabin thing. And behind his cabin, uh, it was night and there was a frozen lake. And so I thought, fantastic, this is my chance. So I ran out on the lake and started sliding about and, and frolicking. Did I just use the word frolicking? I think I did. Anyways, I was being silly. And I had a high confidence and faith in the ice because I'd been told that trucks drive across it. But while I was out there being silly and sliding around things, my friend starts yelling at me. And he was closer to the shore. And the reason he was yelling at me is that it ends up I had wandered about 20 feet from open water, which means that the ice underneath my feet was not thick. It was so, pause. My faith in the ice was stupid because the object of my faith, the ice, was literally too thin. It was not reliable. Faith is only a good thing when the object of your faith is reliable. On the other hand, once my friend started yelling at me, my faith switched from the ice to my friend. And I took his advice and I acted in compliance with what it means to trust my friend. And I slowly scooted back to the shore and I didn't make the same mistake again. Faith is a good thing when the object of your faith is reliable. It's a bad thing when the object of your faith is unreliable. Now bring that back to our story. This explains why Christian faith is always exclusively focused on Jesus Christ. And it also explains why Peter sinks in the water. Go back to the story. So Peter's walking on the water. When you trust Jesus, uh, you always do what Jesus commands. You emulate Jesus's actions. Faith always leads to obedience of Jesus. But then it all goes sideways for Peter. Because what happens is he looks at the wind and he looks at the waves. And in that moment, Jesus, as the object of his faith, gets eclipsed by the storm. The storm starts to dominate Peter's heart and attention and deep heart trust. And Jesus just sort of uh, recedes into the background. And it's a little bit like Peter can't quite choose in this moment. Should I trust Jesus or should I trust the storm? Which one, Peter thinks, which one is more important? Which one, Peter thinks, should be controlling the narrative of me being out on the lake right then? There's a battle in Peter. And I think you can probably identify with this.
in verse 31, when they get back into the boat, Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And the word doubt implies this kind of double-mindedness, this uncertainty. So um, Peter's struggle is, who is the strongest character in my story right now? He knew from the beginning of the story that he wasn't the most powerful person in his story because the storm had already kicked his teeth in. But now he's trying to decide, is Jesus the most, the strongest character in my story or is the storm the strongest character in my story? And when he believes that Jesus is the strongest character in his story, it leads to obedience and boldness and walking on water. But when Jesus gets eclipsed by the storm, it leads to fear, panic, sinking. And that brings us to us. Emmanuel, what is the strongest character in your story? Learn to ask yourself that question in a, on a regular basis. Is it you? If you're the strongest character in your story, it's going to be all about self-reliance. You're going to be always looking at yourself. Is it the economy? Is it the relationship that you wish you had and you find yourself always going to kind of uh, 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 dreaming and wishing for something that you don't have right now? Is it the pandemic right now and all the news that goes with the pandemic? Is it politics? Is it your health? It could be all of these things. The question is, what is it that captivates your mind when you're all alone? What is it that you desire most down deep? What is it that you fear losing above all? Those are going to be the things where your bedrock faith is based. But the problem is none of those things are reliable objects of faith. They promise satisfaction and control or security or whatever they promise, but they all of them are liars. They may be even good things, but they can't support the bedrock faith. And if we hold on to those things, we will sink under the waves. And a lot of us know that right now because this is a, a season where life is kicking our teeth in for some of us. And you know that that can be a gift because this can be the moment when we learn, I can't save myself. And yet this is precisely where I get to meet Jesus. And friends, that's the big payoff of Christianity. Did you know that? You know, the big payoff of Christianity, it's not, it's not just that, you know, Christianity helps me have meaning in life. It's not just that Christianity gives me like a community that I can belong to. It's not just that Christianity helps me become resilient or, or even that I get to go to heaven when I die. Christianity gives us those things, but that's, those are side benefits. They're not the main thing. The deep point of Christianity is that we get to know God. He is the payoff. The point of Christianity is a relationship with the God who's really there for which you were made and without whom your life will be utter futility. The payoff of Christianity is that in meeting Jesus Christ, you meet the God whom your deepest soul longs for, and yet also your deepest soul is repulsed by, and you've been running from him, and I've been running from him, and we all default to running from him. But he's the relationship that we were made for, and all relationship is based on trust, and that's why trust in Jesus Christ is the animating center. So friends, when life kicks your teeth in and you're sinking beneath the waves, it can be a gift because that can be the moment when Jesus speaks to you and says, 
right through the wind and the waves, I am, with meaning I am the God who's really there. I am the only object of your faith that's really reliable. I am the relationship that animates your life, so come to me. Can you hear Jesus saying that? And hearing Jesus say that is really important because faith in the Bible always comes through hearing what Jesus says about himself. It's when Peter hears what Jesus says that he believes. Can you hear Jesus's word? And, and this is actually how Peter wins in the end. Because here he is, he's sinking down, he's captivated by the storm. Jesus has been eclipsed in his heart. But then in that moment, he remembers Jesus's words. He remembers that Jesus says, I am. And so Peter cries out, Lord, if you really are the I am of the Old Testament, then Lord, save me. And immediately in that moment, Jesus did the same thing that the God of the Old Testament had always done for Israel when they were next to the sea. Jesus reaches down his hand, grabs Peter and rips him out of the waves and out of that danger. And all, Emmanuel, all of Christianity can fit in that moment. What do I mean? Think about Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross means many things, but it means at least this. When Jesus died, he was reaching down to us in the midst of the waves. He was reaching down to us and we were sinking beneath the weight of our sin and our guilt and our death and our alienation from God and we couldn't do anything about it. We could not save ourselves and so Jesus reached down to grab us and that's precisely when we get to know God. So friends, I get to tell you today that Jesus is eager to save you. That Jesus is eager to bring you to know him more deeply. Jesus is eager to reach down to you and rescue you so that you can know him. And that relationship is the reason for which you breathe. Do you believe this? And some of us are going to say, no, actually, I, I, I don't. Um, and, and if you're saying that, that, thank you for the honesty. It's always good when honesty happens in church. It's less frequent than one might imagine. If, if you're say, looking at your heart and you're like, man, I don't trust him at all, but I kind of wish I did. Is that you? If that's you, then great. Because this is a moment when you get to find out, I cannot save myself. And that's precisely the moment where you get to meet Jesus. You, you get to learn the same thing that Israel learned and that Peter learned and that all the rest of Christians have learned. Others of us do believe, sort of, but it's always a fight. And if that's you, that's good too. Because this is the moment when we get to learn that we can't even rely on our own ability to produce faith. You don't produce faith in you. I don't produce faith in me. And this is precisely the moment when we get to cry out and ask Jesus to give us the faith that we cannot generate ourselves. And it means we get to pray like this. Jesus, I have lived my life regularly as if there are other things more strong than you in my life. And I've done that as a religious person and I've done that identifying as a Christian and I've done that not identifying as a Christian. I've lived as if there are other things that are stronger than you in my life and I want you to be the main character in my life. So will you captivate me with yourself? Will you grant me to hear your word? Will you grant me to hear you telling me that you are the God who created us and has done all things necessary to redeem us and save us. And will you introduce yourself to us? And will you give me the capacity to trust in you very particularly, despite the present storm that I'm in? 
And will you grant me the joy that the disciples knew on that boat when the wind and the waves were ceased and they looked at Jesus and they said, truly, truly, this is the Son of God. And they worshiped. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.